Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on Israel and geography. Now, if you're buying a house, you know one of the most important things they tell you is location, location, location. You can change many things about the house you buy, but usually you can't change the location. Location affects who your neighbors are, what your weather will be like, what foods are readily available, what the local amenities will be, what language or dialect you'll hear, what occupation you can have, and it can even affect your health and your safety. Changing your location can be exciting and it can be scary. It involves a certain amount of trust that where you're going is where you're supposed to be going. When my husband and I moved in 2004 from Connecticut to Arizona, there was a lot of blind trust. We moved on our own, not because a company told us to, but because we honestly felt God told us to. We didn't have jobs or a clear-cut vision of the future, but what we did have was faith that God was leading us on a new adventure. We gave up what was comfortable and familiar and placed all our trust on God, and He took care of us. In some ways, that's the story of ancient Israel. Abraham was called by God to leave his comfort zone. He left his homeland behind and traveled thousands of miles to a land he had never seen before. But he trusted God and God's plan for him and his future. In today's podcast, I will focus on the ancient world of the Old Testament. And then, in next week's podcast, we'll discuss geography of the New Testament during the time of Jesus. And then, finally, we're going to end our series with a contemporary looking at Israel's geography and her neighbors and how that pretty much affects every aspect of life in Israel. Since you're listening to this instead of seeing it, I'm going to do my best to paint pictures in your mind of the geography that I'm talking about. I will also direct you to the maps that I have posted on my website, studentofthebible.com. And if you look at them or use your phone or your iPad to get a map of ancient Israel, this will make it a lot more meaningful as we go along. Let's start at the very beginning of the Bible with the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Eden was a real place. God and man resided together in this perfect paradise. But do you know where the Garden of Eden is believed to have been located? Think about that for a moment. Hmm. Biblical archaeologists believe that the Garden of Eden was in southern Mesopotamia, That's what is now called modern-day Iraq. And in a place where the Tigris 
and the Euphrates rivers run into the sea. Now, the Bible passage actually mentions four rivers. The Pishon and the Gihon no longer exist, but best guesstimates are that Eden was either toward the top or the bottom of these rivers. Taking a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, give us an idea of this geography. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. End quote. Archaeologists have confirmed that the earliest civilization of man was in this southern region of Mesopotamia, Iraq. And you might recall from your ancient world history class that this group of people were called the Sumerians, S-U-M-E-R-I-A-N-S. The Sumerian civilization was predominantly agricultural. They were adept at building canals for irrigation, and it's believed to be the earliest civilization, closely followed by Egypt, India, and then China. So we have discovered, just like our Bible tells us, that the earliest civilizations arose in this lower Mesopotamia area, followed then by the Egyptian civilization along the Nile River, the Harappan civilization in the Indus River Valley, so that's India and Pakistan, and then followed shortly afterwards by the Chinese civilization along the Yellow and the Yangtze Rivers. In our Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about a flood. Now, this was the great flood where Noah was directed by God to build an ark and to save pairs of animals. Many theologians believe that the ark settled after the waters receded in a mountain range in modern-day Turkey, possibly in the mountains of Ararat. And if you go to studentofthebible.com, you can actually see Turkey on my Eden map. It's just north and east of the possible location of Eden. Then if we go forward to the story in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11, this is a great story of the creation of a tower that's referred to as the Tower of Babel. Now, this is believed to have been created, again, in Iraq, in Babylon. And this is very close to the Euphrates River. Now, this type of architecture, archaeologists have actually dug up many of them, were called a ziggurat. It was really common in ancient Babylon, some of them reaching as high as 300 feet. And then you can see how that would certainly become the focal point of the city. Biblical archaeologists believe that this area in Iraq 
is probably the most likely location of the Tower of Babel. Now, we know from our biblical narrative that God then scattered the people and confused their language sometime after the Tower of Babel was created. In Genesis chapter 12, we're then introduced to a man whose original name was Abram, which means exalted father. And then God later changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Now, Abraham is called by God to leave his hometown of a place called Ur of Chaldeans. And this is situated kind of in the same region, about 140 miles southeast of Babylon, right near the Euphrates River. It makes sense. This is where the cradle of civilization was. And this man, Abram, who later becomes Abraham, this is where he's from. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that God calls this guy, Abraham, to leave his comfort zone and to move to a little-known land called Canaan. And this is described in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, who becomes Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Unquote. Okay, such an important lesson here about location. Be mindful to not let the comfort of your current situation make you miss God's plan for you. God called Abram, Abraham, to leave the comforts of his family and his friends and all that was known to him and to travel to an unknown land where Did you hear this? God promises to make a great nation from his family. God is calling Abraham from a godless, self-centered region of Ur, right near where the Tower of Babel was made, to a fertile region called Canaan. This little piece of land is then going to be the focal point for the whole rest of the biblical narrative. Now, the land known as Canaan, was situated in a territory of the land that today encompasses not only Israel, but the West Bank, Gaza, Jordan, and southern portions of Syria and Lebanon. That was all referred to as the land of Canaan. The distance that Abraham had to travel from Ur to Canaan, if you drew a straight line, was about 3,400 miles. But Abraham didn't travel in a straight line. In fact, I don't think anyone in the Bible travels in a straight line. But instead, Abraham went from Ur north to a place called Haran. And Haran is in modern-day Turkey. And 
Biblical scholars believe he took this indirect route because he followed the rivers instead of attempting to cross the huge desert. Okay, cut him some slack. He's 75 years old. I think that makes sense. But eventually, Abraham ends up in what we know today is Israel. And we learn from the Bible that Abraham's nephew, Lot, also made this journey with Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Now, the Bible tells us that after a period of time, both Lot and Abraham, their flocks grew so substantially that there just wasn't enough land in this area for both of them. So Abraham turns to Lot and says, Lot, choose which land you would like to set up pasture for your animals. So the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 13 that Lot chose to set up his tents near Sodom. Now, remember when I said that location is important? Not only is location important, but the Bible reminds us that the reason why you choose a location is important. We learn from the Bible that Lot chose Sodom because, quote, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord, unquote. Well, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it doesn't end well for them. And Lot's greedy desire for the best-looking land places him in a really ungodly location. His poor choice of location almost costs Lot his life. Lot's story of geography is a good reminder for us to always seek God's approval before we make decisions based on worldly standards. The Bible tells us that God destroyed both Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, do we know where these ancient cities were? There's a biblical archaeologist uh, his name is Stephen Collins, and in 2013, so not that long ago, he combined clues from biblical geography with some archaeological evidence, and he focused on a location in Jordan called Tal El Hammam, and all of these things kind of suggested that Sodom was located in this fertile area north east of the Dead Sea. And so he decided to excavate this area called Tel al-Hammam. He found evidence of a flourishing ancient civilization that he believes at one time was maybe one of the largest cities in Canaan, which also kind of goes along with why Lot chose this location. What he also discovered is that Unlike other Canaanite cities that continued to flourish in what we call the Late Bronze Age, like 1550 to 1200 BC, Tal El Hammam was destroyed by a fire at the end of the Middle Bronze Age and remained uninhabited, from what he could tell, 
for centuries. Across El Hammam, archaeologists found widespread evidence of, get this, you guys, an intense fire that left the Middle Bronze Age city in ruins. From their website, it says they found scorched foundations and floors buried under nearly three feet of dark gray ash and dozens of shards of pottery covered with what they called a frothy, melted surface. Their biblical archaeology website says the glassy appearance indicates that they were briefly exposed to temperatures well in excess of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, unquote. Isn't that interesting? In fact, we're told that in Genesis 19, when Abraham looked down at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he, quote, saw dense smoke rising from the land. Now, there are other biblical archaeologists who place Sodom and Gomorrah more towards the southeast corner of the Dead Sea. But this excavation has convinced many scholars that the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are located on the northeast side of the Dead Sea. Kind of cool. Okay, so I've been talking about the Dead Sea. What exactly is the Dead Sea? Okay, the Dead Sea is a lake. And it's fed by the Jordan River from the north. And in ancient times, it was actually known by many names, like the Salt Sea, the Eastern Sea, and the Sea of Sodom. My husband and I actually got to swim, well, float in the Dead Sea. You don't really get to swim in the Dead Sea because the salt content is 30 to 40% salt which makes it nearly impossible to not float. In fact, you can sit on the water like you're sitting in a chair. It, it's an extraordinary experience. It, by comparison, salt in the ocean is around 6%. So when you get to 30 to 40% salt, yes, it is silky smooth and feels incredible, but definitely don't touch your eyes. I was with a group of people who forgot that rule. It's called the Dead Sea, well, because of its high salt content, and when you have something that salty, fish and aquatic plants can't live. But scientists have found that there's, you know, some bacteria and some microbial fungi, but nothing that we would say is serious life. Okay, where is the Dead Sea? I have some maps of this on the website. It's the lowest point on the Earth, 1,000 320 feet below sea level. And it's flanked by the Judean mountains on the west, Jordan and the mountains of Moab on the east, the Jordan Valley and the Sea of Galilee is to the north, and then you have the Negev Desert and the Red Sea to the south. So again, look at a map so that you can figure out exactly where this is. And today it's about an hours drive south of Jerusalem. But the Dead Sea has quite an ancient history, and it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's also the location of the Qumran community who produced what we now refer to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, 
If you're not familiar with these scrolls, this was an amazing find. They're ancient texts that have been preserved in these caves near the shore of the Dead Sea. And it was an incredible discovery because they've really given us insight into the religious and the social beliefs of the early first century Jews. King Herod, he actually built and then rebuilt several fortresses and palaces along the banks of the Dead Sea. The most famous was what we call Masada. And I actually have a few pictures of this on studentofthebible.com. Masada was really an incredible fortress with amazing views of the Dead Sea. And Masada is very special to the Jewish people even today because it's the site in 66 to 70 AD where this small group of rebellious Jewish zealots held out against an entire Roman legion. It's an incredible story. There's also something called the Fortress of Macarus, and this is on the northeast side of the Dead Sea. And that's actually believed to be the fortress where King Herod kept John the Baptist. And after John the Baptist was imprisoned here, that's also where he was beheaded. Okay, let's leave the Dead Sea and let's get back to the entire land of Canaan that God told Abraham to travel to. At the end of Genesis chapter 13, God gives the land to Abraham and his descendants. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, remember his name hasn't changed yet, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And then in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, we have a, a more uh, specific land description. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, unquote. And then we have in Numbers, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12, God explains to Moses about the land that they're about to enter. And remember, they've been in captivity in Egypt for about 400 years. The issue with the numbers account is that in the description, there's many locations that no longer exist. But then we look at the description given to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, 
Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as promised to Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to give their ancestors, unquote. So if you look at a map, you'll see that the Israel of today is vastly different than what appears to have been the land given to the people during the time of Abraham and then Moses and then Joshua. Initially, the landmass that God was bestowing upon his people was huge. Um, Lebanon on the north to the desert on the south is about 140 miles. And then the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River is about 400 miles. And if you take a look at the square footage of that ancient land in total, you're looking at about 56 thousand square miles. That's equal to the sizes of the state of New York and Vermont combined. Okay, just to give you a visual. But today, Israel is 290 miles in length and at its widest point, only 85 miles wide. So today, Israel is bordered by Lebanon to the north, Syria to the northeast, Jordan to the east, Egypt to the south, and then you've got the Mediterranean Sea on the west. If you were kind of looking at a map, that's only 8,600 square miles, about 6.5 times smaller. I think it's important for us to understand the ancient geography of the Bible, because the Bible is filled with stories of real people from real places. And being able to visit these places, for me, has made the Bible really come alive. I'm so grateful that I was able to stand on the fortress of Masada and gaze out at the Dead Sea. And I've been able to see from a distance the caves where they extracted the Dead Sea Scrolls. I was able to walk where Elijah walked when he encountered God in Mount Carmel and was able to prove to the prophets of Baal that God is God. I've seen the Jordan River where I was baptized and I got to sail on the Sea of Galilee. Israel is an amazing place, rich with history. Our history, the history of the Bible, after this podcast series, it's really my hope that you start to understand the importance of geography and the key role it has played throughout the biblical narrative. We'll talk more about this in our next podcast with a focus on geography during the time of Jesus and how this affected Jesus and his ministry. I want to leave you with this final thought about location. I know we sometimes struggle with decisions on where to go and what path to take. 
Well, Solomon, the Bible tells us, was the wisest man that ever lived, and yet even he asked God for wisdom before making decisions. And he talks about this in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in God, not in the world. Location is important. Just remember Lot. He leaned on his own understanding and made a pretty bad choice. But remember, God may already have you in the place you're supposed to be. Pray for discernment and have a blessed day.